Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Dr. Ashley Lucas. Ashley is the founder of PhD Weight Loss, holds a PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease, and is also a registered dietitian. She comes to the field of nutrition and weight management with a unique background as she was previously a professional ballet dancer. Her, her career was constantly met with injury and a struggle to meet the required ballet-specific body type. As a result, she retired from her professional dancing career, understood the importance nutrition played in her own athletic performance, and started along her path to become an expert in the field of nutrition and wellness. Following a 15-year-plus years of research and clinical practice, Dr. Lucas developed PhD's science-based approach that revolutionized the science of weight loss. Her approach focuses on met metabolic wellness, inflammation reduction, and behavior and emotional support that creates a profound, sustainable transformation in the body and mind. Dr. Lucas recently released her new groundbreaking ebook, The Ultimate Weight Loss Secrets. She helps those who have failed over and over again with previous weight loss attempts to finally find long-term success. So welcome on to the show, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. The pleasure is absolutely mine. So if we go right back to the beginning, Ashley, of your ballet career and the implications that nutrition played on your career, Explain to us the 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 specifics in which it played an importance on 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 the figure itself. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot. Ballet dancers are a unique type of athlete. I mean, we have significant significant aesthetic demands placed on us, and um, a ton of physical requirements. So it's a pretty like grueling athletic career. <laughs> and, um, you know, my body just didn't conform easily to what the requirements were. And I was put in ballet when I was real young and I wasn't very talented and I didn't have that natural body or the natural ability. And so I had to really push my body in ways that it probably shouldn't have gone. <laughs> and so I was constantly injured and I had you know, stress fractures all the time, you know, in my feet and my back. And I was told I was fat countless times, despite counting calories and restricting myself. And I was very rarely at the body that I needed to be. And when I was, that's when I would have stress fractures and pretty significant injuries. So I'd say, you know, um, that that's how it impacted me. And it caused the end of my career. I was I had a pretty successful professional dancing career, despite all of that. I think just because I pushed myself to the level um, where my body almost couldn't perform. Um, and I danced with professional companies across the country. And I was flown out to New York to perform in these once in a lifetime performances. But instead of finding myself um, in the theater and on the stage, I found myself in the ER. And I didn't know what was going on. I, I thought I was having a heart attack and I had a whole bunch of tests done in the ER there in New York. And the neurologist came back and said that I was simply underfed and overexercised and my body couldn't take it anymore. I was just having a breakdown mentally, emotionally, physically. I just couldn't do it anymore. And that was a huge deal to me. And I think it is to any athlete, you know, when your career just has to stop all of a sudden. And probably like yourself, you know, it was my identity. It's all that I did since I was a young girl. I went to boarding school for it. My undergraduate degree was in it. It's all I knew. And so it was a huge deal to me. And it came at me like a tidal wave, 20 plus years of struggle and sacrifice just done. I, and I felt like I had to step away before most people would have said I truly made it in the field. So I felt like a failure. I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. Um, so I understood how significantly nutrition impacted my own sport performance. 
And that's why I went on to pursue a field in nutrition and help people overcome, you know, the plight that I went through and was unable to achieve the body that I needed to for, for my performance. So here I am today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a side question for you, Ashley. Why, why do you think there's a more scrutiny towards female dancers to, to, to like fight shaming and to be a certain mm-hmm. weight? as opposed to their male counterparts? Um, I mean, I think there's pressure for both. Um, but just the, 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 it's more competitive for women, you know? And so I think the men um, in general maybe can get by with a little bit more. It might also be a little bit easier for them to maintain the lean body weight that's needed, then like women naturally just really don't get down as lean as needed naturally, I would say for the majority of us, but the expectations are there for both. Definitely. Not just, not just the women. Okay. That's, that's an eye opener for me because I I would probably have a bias towards that question. That's why I asked it because Mm. that's, the, the presumption from looking inwards, you would have that perception of it would be more of the, the plight being more on the women than the men. I mean, it's definitely more on the women than the men, for sure. But the, the men have to be able to perform and, and step up to those aesthetic demands as well. So definitely for both, but more pressure on the women, for sure. So fast forward to to the present and, and, and specializing in your in the field of nutrition what beyond the the means of you wanting to to gain more understanding for yourself what was the allure for you like to progress further obviously because a phd is no small feat yeah yeah I, you know so I, I went in and just knew that i i wanted to learn more about the body i wanted to understand what happens to us chronic dieters out there, because there are many of us who chronically under eat, think that it's all about calories in and out track what we're doing and still do not achieve the body composition that we need or desire. And so that's what I ended up doing. I went on and earned my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. And I studied just that, you know, what happens metabolically when we chronically under eat. Um, And most importantly, what do we need to do emotionally and behaviorally to support sustainable change? And so that's what I went on and and studied. And and then I went and taught at the Ohio State University. And it was when I was there where I understood that I don't have patience and I need to see dramatic change in people right away. (laughs) I just, I I love the research and and everything we do is evidence-based since I come from that background, but It just wasn't for me. I had to work one-on-one with people and really um, significantly impact their lives quickly. And so I went back to school and I completed my dietetic internship because I wanted to be this true expert in the field of nutrition and weight management. So I, I thought becoming a registered dietitian would do that, but there was an issue. And the issue was that everything I learned during that time was the same messaging that I had implemented earlier in my dancing career that didn't result in success. It was count your calories, exercise more, eat everything in moderation. You need to have more willpower. You know, as a top performing athlete, we we have pretty good discipline, I would say. And, and I did all those things and I wasn't where I needed to be. So I ended up flipping everything I learned during that time upside down and took what I gained from my research and created what is now the PhD approach and what we implement into our clinics every day. Uh, but I began initially working with athletes since that was my background and that's what the, my PhD was in. And what I found had this profound effect on athletes, helping them to optimize their performance um, while optimizing their body composition and supporting their metabolism at the same time that this, this approach had a more significant impact on those of us struggling with weight. And we know that about 75% of us in America here are struggling with our weight and across the globe, it's, it's become a, a huge worldwide situation. 
And so I just started working more and more with people struggling with their weight and, and wanting to optimize their health in a certain way. And that's kind of how, how the PhD approach was born. <laughs> It's, it, it, it's it's fascinating to hear you say that you didn't have um the patience for 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 the tertiary level education what 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 is it because of all the red tape that comes along with it that that, that was the sticking point for you so so say that again james just so i make sure i'm understanding your question when you were ohio state was it yeah. more the red tape that was the hindrance for you well, yeah, you know, we're we're taught these same, same messages um, for type two diabetes management. For example, we're taught that we need to eat the same amount of carbohydrates, forty five grams, with each meal and snack. When it, I would have questioned as to why do we need to do that when we reduce carbohydrates, we reduce blood sugars and insulin needs, and some and oftentimes can put type two diabetes into remission. Like those two things don't make sense to me or the fact that, um, you know, we need to be able to eat everything in moderation, but the dropping weight is largely an addiction recovery process. And if we are addicted to certain foods, then, then why should we be expected to keep them in our diet and be able to moderate them? Um, just the calories in and calories out approach. Like we, we know the body is much more complicated than a simple equation and, and not having any other tools and methods to overcome and find a different way to drop weight and be able to sustain it. Just, it didn't make sense to me. Well, that's good. The, the point that you raised actually is, is a good one in terms of a focus on the addictive point first of all because that was one of the questions i wanted to ask you in terms of you raise a great point because if it's an addiction it's, it's pretty hard to to, to curb be it smoking drugs it, it it takes going into to rehab to to ultimately diminish that and ultimately when it comes to probably food and beverages it's probably more complicated because that is what the product wants you to do in the first place is to become addictive to it thus you buy more of it that's right so when we come to it being an addictive approach how do we reverse engineer it back in layman's terms and for, for, for the the person on the street so they understand that they have a an addictive behavior in the first place to then obviously uh, improve the situation. I won't call it fixed, but improve the situation mm -hmm. from where they're at to lose the weight and obviously come to to be into a a position where they feel comfortable with their self confidence, the way that they look, and ultimately the, the admiration they get from other people. I mean, I think the first step is having an awareness as to the fact that it is an addiction recovery process for a lot of us. That that's the first step, and that there's no shame or guilt associated with it. It's just how we are wired. And then the reason why that might be the case, you know, so just like you said, the foods that are here and have been created perfectly in a way where we just can't eat a small portion of it, right? They've created these foods so that they are addictive and have spent millions of dollars creating, you know, the perfect French fry or soda pop that where we just can't stop drinking, you know, in the 1800s, we consumed 18 pounds of sugar per year per person. And now we're at about 180 pounds um, per person per year, which is a 600% increase. Um, you know, Doritos, for example, has put so much effort into figuring out the perfect flavor of a chip where we cannot stop eating it. Um, you know, you ever wonder why one chip might be spicier or have a little bit more flavoring than the other, like that's done on purpose so that we keep driving to find the tastiest chips in the bag. I've never thought of it like that <laughs> in terms of when you say, but that's, that, that'd be across the board in terms of product. You think of, of, of other ingredients where one would be 
le- le- less spicy than the other. I've never thought of it that. So that that's blown my mind in terms of uh, you're trying to find ultimately something that doesn't exist uh, to, to a certain extent of, I, I will always say to my clients, there's no such thing as perfection, but ultimately mm-hmm. what you've just described there it, from a food perspective is is the the body tra- c- craving the absolute perfection when it comes to an ingredient yeah I, I there is even there's one type of chip and it might be a doritos type of chip where they make certain uh chips a different color you know there might be like five find the purple chip in the bag there's a reason for that it's not for having fun it's so that you eat the whole darn bag looking for the the stupid purple chips so um yeah i mean what we're fight, fighting against from the foods and and marketing and the addictive substances that they put in them is huge um and then understanding our habits and the reasons why we might might start to become addicted to food. And, you know, we're all looking for these dopamine surges and we really don't like sitting with discomfort and we like to feel good all the time. And instant gratification is huge with where we are right now. Uh, And this is different times than in the past. You know, we have thermometers where we are comfortable all the time with our surroundings. I mean, we just really don't like discomfort and we like to get things our way right away. And so with food, it's just a a way, another method of achieving that and getting these dopamine surges that just temporarily make us feel better than we might feel, you know, naturally just sitting by ourselves with ourselves. So looking at that perspective, I think I think a big part of dropping weight is being okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah, but I think most people aren't. Um, I I would find naturally speaking to individuals um, that they fall in, I'll describe it as three different camps, but there's probably more more than that. But ultimately the ones that will never change, that are Mm -hmm. content with being comfortable, uh in in an environment that you and i would attest to it's 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 that should be uh, you would want to get out of that environment because it's toxic in another sense uh you've got the people that are probably somewhere in between that are kind of going from one to the other uh kind of doing a little bit of the loop and then ultimately you've got the the if we were to use a business one, the 2% of the marketplace that obviously want to change and are ready to buy, they're ready to change and, and, and to make it their lifestyle uh, mm. and push forward. But I think when you talk about the ingredients being doctored in a way that it becomes addictive, it doesn't matter what person lies in those camps, they're all going to come unstuck when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So it's in, it's impacting you, everyone equally. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's what I, I would say. I would say. I think probably some people would be maybe a little bit more aware to it. Of uh-huh. that's that's probably the narrative that I try and showcase. Of you need to, you don't necessarily have to have letters after your name to be able to be alert to what is in your food. Mm-hmm. And it and it's and this conversation I was with a gentleman today about, and it was his words, not mine, which I found pretty good. Of by the time he'd ordered takeout, and it got to his house, he could have cooked a meal himself. But right. it takes that realization of being aware to the problem to be able to do something about. It. Ultimately, there's going to be days even you and I can't be asked. To, to be able to go into the kitchen and make something from scratch. Um, I'm, I would say to people, it's okay once in a while, but obviously routine becomes a habit. We do it too much. Yeah. It becomes uh, uh, consistency from a bad perspective. So I probably say, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not perfect when it comes to, to nutrition or, or have I ever, said I have been because I, I have probably gravitated to soda pop when I was a kid as opposed mm-hmm. to water. And you've seen mm-hmm. me drink water today uh, because it was 
a beverage that I thought at that time would quench, quench, quench my thirst. I can't, almost, I can't say the word, but quench my thirst at that particular time, whereas in fact it probably wouldn't because of, um, let alone being bouncing off the walls. But <laughs> the levels of sugar in those drinks, and I'm going to show my age now, uh, probably 25 years ago were nowhere near to the levels they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're right there. So I, yeah, I, I think um, again, it comes to awareness of these foods and how they're impacting us, and then you know, I you, your desire to change has to significantly outweigh the desire to stay the same, or nothing's going to happen. So for these people who want to make a change, like if you're a client is really jonesing to make an improvement in his life and helping him find first awareness and then little baby steps of establishing new habits that is going to direct him to his ultimate health goals and teaching him like you do. And like we do every day is helping people live in the gray area, understanding that it can't, they can't expect themselves to be perfect all the time. If they do, then they're going to end up failing and find themselves back to where they, they started. So I'd say that that's a huge deal and recognizing that it just takes time to establish habits, but their desire has to stay so strong um, or else nothing's going to happen. Well, that's the difficulty because we live in an age that is, and I, how many times I probably give Amazon a prop here in terms of marketing, but in terms of the, the mindset of, having something the next day or pretty much in the US probably more quickly than that nowadays but Mm -hmm. the whole mindset of that approach is pretty much indoctrinated in everywhere that you look in terms of people are I'm not saying unwilling to do the work but they are sole intent to have it as I can't remember which documentary it is but you, you, your weight is what's it um it's your fault i'm fat is the name of the title of the, of the documentary but and these are teenage kids the unwillingness to take ownership of of the problem of kind of parking out the door of the parents is like well they're not force feeding you mm-hmm. to eat. i get that portion control in the west has probably gone out the window to some extent um i don't calorie count because i've got um you could say a it's not a disorder but i get compulsive with it so i get too numbers driven which is counterproductive yeah Um, i hate calorie counting i don't like tracking calories i don't i think mentally it just causes a lot of challenges well, one one of the 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 how would I describe the person? One I won't call them contestants, but one of the individuals on the show who was sixteen and was prescribed uh, a meal plan to work from from a calorie perspective, and became obsessed with I'm I'm assuming one of many. Uh, I'll probably say probably my fitness pal, but she she inadvertently started restricting from that 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 set plan and Mm. what i would probably question from a behavioral perspective is you might have not intended to do it in the short to medium term but the first day that you did it you you ultimately wanted to to specifically do it because you weren't seeing the results that you wanted right away which I think yeah. from a teenage perspective is is quite dangerous because yes, you you would agree that I think because of the family member being concerned with them, I think it ended up being like 900 calories a day, which is mm. nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took a nutrition uh, a dietitian, sorry, saying, you need to stick with what I've set you because ultimately you're going to get the results. It, it might not be in the time frame that you want, 
Mm-hmm. is unhealthy and, and ultimately in the long run is quite dangerous yeah that's right yeah it's that instant gratification and not being able to just sit with the process um and actually doing the work that needs to be done um yeah and then and then from going back to the addiction side of things also metabolically and hormonally when we're storing excess fat way we are predisposed to have stronger addictions toward foods so what happens i find is that in our lives we have these different triggers and these triggers change the way that we tolerate our food so we can continue to eat the same way we did of the past but now it results in a different outcome and that outcome is often weight gain And so these triggers that I'm talking about, let's say for women, it could be pregnancy or menopause is, you know, common ones where we see the body just starts to change and it doesn't go back to the way that it was before. For men, I find it's usually some kind of major stress event and general aging still, you know, tends to help the body put on this fat mass where before when we were younger, we didn't see that propensity. And so what happens is over time, we start to accumulate this fat deep down in the belly and this fat in the belly is different than the fat tissue in other areas. Uh, you know, visceral fat, it's like a gel. It fills up the organs. It wraps around the organs. And what happens is over time, this fat mass grows its own blood vessels and secretes its own hormones. So the fat tissue in the belly is actually this really active fat tissue that just wants to get fatter as fast as possible. And so it's in there secreting these hormones that help to encourage that to happen. So these hormones help to encourage more hunger, um, stronger cravings, more addiction to these carby, sugary foods we've been talking about. It slows the metabolism a bit. So we find we can't eat as much as maybe we used to when we were leaner. And it makes us lazy. It makes us not want to move because the last thing this hungry fat mass wants us to do is is go expend a ton of energy, you know? And so here we're sitting on the couch. We have crazy cravings. We're really hungry. Our metabolism is slow and we're just in this state of fat storage. And that's all our body wants to do. And so that's why I find, you know, with our clients, it's really important that we really fully collapse this active fat mass and get the body back where it needs to be into its sweet spot where we don't have this fat mass like tumor working against us. So if we only drop a portion of our excess fat weight, let's say we have 50 pounds of excess weight, primarily in the belly, and we drop 30 pounds we're going to feel a lot better, but at that weight, we still have 20 pounds working against us. And our risk of regain is going to be really high, especially if we haven't done the work mentally and emotionally, we haven't, you know, looked at this as an addiction recovery process. We haven't shifted our lifestyle and created new habits around that. Then our risk of regain is is through the roof. And so that's why if our goal is to drop weight and maintain it, we've got to do it at a way where we're not severely restricting calories. So we don't shut down our metabolism. We've got to do it in a way where we go all the way and get the body back to where it needs to be. And then we've got to look at the mental, emotional, the habits and behaviors to make sure that we're creating sustainable change. So that being said though, Ashley, have you seen a massive increase because of the pandemic then? in terms of people exhibiting what you've mentioned because they've not been able to go out. Yeah. Significant. We are um, busier than we have ever been. And it's largely because people have put on excess weight due to high stress and shift in lifestyle. And like you said, not getting out like we used to do. Um, maybe drinking more alcohol, uh, having more faster, so busy working from home, teaching our kids from home. Um, yeah. So we've seen significant increases in the people we help, but also because we now understand that our health is really imperative, you know, now more than ever, 
we really need to protect our health. You know, a, a recent study showed that 77% of people who die from COVID-19 are obese. I mean, it's a huge statistic that we just can't deny. Um, and with the vaccination not working the way that we would expect it to, like we still, the, the only thing that we can do for ourselves is to optimize our health and allow our bodies to be strong enough to overcome whatever might come our way. So not mentioning these statistics to increase anxiety or shame or worry, but to reframe it as an opportunity and as an excuse to make a change in our lives that we probably wanted to do for a really long time. We just haven't had the time or something's been in the way. Um, and so now we can use this as an excuse to really step up. And like you said, take responsibility to do the work that we've known we've needed to do and have probably really wanted to do for a very long time. But what would you put that down to? Because ultimately people would use the old, I won't call them excuses, but in terms of you and I and, and th thousands, if not millions of health professionals have heard these, you know, time, uh, it's not the right time. Um, ultimately, it, 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 it's going to take too much time. Um I can't balance it with my work life uh, schedule and things like that. Why do you think people sometimes deliberately, I almost put inadvertently, deliberately put behavior in, in front of the way of their goals? Because ultimately they can, uh, any sane person can see that if you derail yourself, that's a bit like it's self-sabotage. Why, why would you deliberately go against just for argument's sake the person was healthy before become unhealthy because of the, the demands of their job they surely should be able to see if they deliberately put something in the way to stop them getting back to where they'd probably be healthier happier and it affects everybody ultimately everybody wins mm-hmm mm -hmm. Um, well, you know, the hallmark of addiction is sophisticated excuses and procrastinations. It's ultimately perfection, though. Ultimately what? Ultimately, that's perfection because procrastination is you don't deem it yourself to ever be ready because what other people are going to think about it. Mm, true. I'm sure that's a huge component of self-sabotage, right? Yeah. Fear is that fear of perfection thinking that if they don't do it right, then they shouldn't do it at all. Yeah, but that's ultimately that's fear of failure, but, but, <laughs> but I would question people to, to be, what are you frightened of? Is it, if it is that you're going to fail once again, mm -hmm. or are you going to feel that you are going to succeed? And ultimately there's nothing to be be scared of because both of them are uncertain. True. In, in in the in the long in the long term, um, but I get that being the approach of you're either all in or you're not is quite, mm -hmm. is counterproductive in so many ways in terms of be it weight loss you name it it's 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 if you're not the desire isn't there like you mentioned earlier on why bother so i i get i get where people are coming from when they've got that fear of failure because if i'm not 100% invested in in the outcome do i really care but the the the, the, the what i would say is obviously like you mentioned before, there's no better time than to start now. And mm -hmm. if you, if you, the, 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 any journey is obviously it started with one put from, yeah, I can't speak with one foot in front of the other. And ultimately you get to your destination, but the statistics, I didn't think they'd be as high as that, but in terms of 
it, it puts into question sometimes when I do, and I'm quite happy to be vulnerable when it comes to this, when I make the irrational decision to 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 have a pizza or to eat the whole bag of crisps uh, or chips. I know the consequence of my my actions and ultimately I don't feel guilty after I've done it because I chose to eat the whole thing. That was a, that yeah. was ultimately a choice. And I'm aware that it's not going to happen overnight in terms of the work that needs to be undone to a certain extent to mm-hmm. be able to to fix that 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 choice but that that most people are not aware of decisions that you were talking about because or, or i've just mentioned because of the leth- lethargy and and the, the the work life stresses of homeschooling working from home uh, that's the last thing they want to do is is contemplate their actions. Right. Yeah, there's just not enough energy left, especially when you're not feeling great to begin with, um, to put the effort in into, I guess, self-improvement is what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so... I can see that. I can see that people don't get started on making improvements in their health because of fear. I'd say that that's the biggest component. And then some just like you said, a percentage of people who just don't have the desire to make a change for one reason or another. Um, I, I do truly think some people just aren't quite ready, but why aren't they ready? It's probably based in fear. So they really have to have the trust and the confidence and the belief in themselves that they can make change for the rest of their life simply because they want to. Well, it's practice. Ultimately, you and I have got years of mm-hmm. of a of, of a skill set. It's not happened overnight. Um, my business coach mentioned this the other week of. What what is the Olympic gold medal? I I did switch off a little bit because for me it's common sense, but they don't they don't go from being in a, in a pack of individuals to being the best. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I mm-hmm. think sports obviously breeds that in terms of people because it's very competitive. You want to outdo everybody, so you're gonna do whatever it takes ultimately some of those things is a bad choice uh as you mentioned in, early on in the episode of of the the approach of no pain no game i i completely disagree with it entirely now nowadays but those individuals will find a way they might they might lose their way uh if they step away for a period of time but it it don't it doesn't take a lot to kind of probe them to kind of go well what you're accepting right now is mediocrity mm-hmm. in that environment that is not acceptable because if you did that right. too much they'd boot you out of the way of okay you coach you either get rid of that person we'll get rid of them for you uh but i think when it comes to overall health is very fascinating because ultimately why a person chooses to 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 stay where they are when ultimately they're miserable and mm-hmm. it has other knock-on effects uh on their life versus the person that has a desire to to want to change because ultimately it's not willpower and motivation. I know people are seeking willpower and motivation. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It to some extent it doesn't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. Even you and I have probably had wavering motivation over the years. Of I'm not hundred percent all in all the mm-hmm. time. There's probably I probably could count maybe five athletes on my hand of. In, in my lifetime that I know are probably locked in 100% and probably people know who those are. Um, but most people are not robotic in their nature of being Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, in terms of 
they are the best in their field because they're not like everybody else. But to not diminish that and make everybody feel down and gloom about it, there are traits you can take from that in terms of when you've got world-stream motivation, if that's the best you can do on that given day, there's a sense of gratitude of, okay, I've done this. I've made slight improvement as opposed to maybe look at the negativity of uh, I've not got the sustainable weight loss that I'm desired over, you know, two, three weeks prior. Thus I, I, I failed myself because I've not, and, and you and I know that nutrition, not an exact science weight loss yeah. fluctuates depending on hundreds and hundreds of different out, uh, outcomes and, and scenarios and what the person's done throughout the day or the week. Um, but, it doesn't take having a having a degree to be able to want to at least improve your knowledge when it comes to that. The more that you know is obviously going to serve you in the in the long run. Yeah, I agree with that. I think a big thing is, um, you know, if this is your goal is to improve your health, drop weight, or do anything to improve yourself, having a support team and having accountability behind you, so you set yourself up for the greatest chance of success is really important. Um, you know, do it. I can't think of any athlete who doesn't have a coach behind them from being recreationally active to elite Olympian, <laughs> right? There's always someone out there looking from the outside perspective of what you could do differently, how you could shoot better, you know, something that you can't catch the way your, your arms are being held in a certain way that you wouldn't have any idea of what you're doing personally. And so for some reason, there's all this shame and guilt associated with asking someone to help optimize our health and our weight when there shouldn't be. It's, it's not different than any other sport or business. You have a business coach. I have a business coach. I have a life coach, like to just have an outside perspective and hold me accountable and help me time collapse where they've been through a lot of this already. And I don't have to experience all those same challenges. Like I'd like to skip a few. <laughs> and so if you're dropping weight or your goal is to get healthier, like skip a few of the challenges and maybe a few of the weeks where you see plateaus by yourself and give up and give in because it's painful the way that you're doing it on your own and tracking 900 calories on my fitness pal and then trying to work out and you're starving and you're still not seeing the scale drop. Like that is frustrating. And it'd be very odd if you did continue along that journey rather than give up, give in and give up. So I think the number one thing is that it's okay to ask for help that 95% of diets we do on our own fail. So it doesn't mean that you're a failure if you've done that before. And it doesn't mean you're a failure if you have had help and you've dropped weight only to regain it. That's okay. That was a part of the process for you for one reason. And with uh, more awareness and practice that will reduce in severity and frequency, but to ask for help and have someone on the outside hold you accountable and give you outside perspective so that you can time collapse. You can be successful and have, have someone give you some outside perspective so it can be as fun and as exciting as possible. I would say it's really important. Right, if we circle back to what we said midway through the episode of judgment it's it's deeming what other people are going to think of you asking for help and if i view to myself as a kid i was i won't say afraid i wouldn't ask a question at school because of i'm going to assume somebody else is going to ask that and i i was fortunate enough uh last year to speak at my alma mater uh, Swansea University to, to their current cohorts of students um, and to say, well, I even, even at 19, 18, 19, 20 year old, I still did it of even among some, some smart people. Okay. James, you're not going to ask a question, even though I, I think I got to the, the point where I think nowadays, well, if I don't ask my question, it may never get asked. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be a person that's too 
in my specific point of view that is apprehensive of asking the question because of like may or may not come after it uh so now i think because through probing from i think my business coach of well he procrastinated a little bit i think because he t- hit the button when it comes to sports like, okay i'll ask my question because it's going to impact me and i'm going to make progressions a lot quite a lot quicker if i get my i get my question on if he doesn't know the answer obviously going to find out or i go and look myself but mm-hmm. i'm none the wiser if i don't ask that and i think that's where people find themselves in that catch 22 when it comes to the health of pretty much if you were to google anything when it comes to diet and nutrition it's pretty much a minefield so yeah. it's like well I, I i'm i'm lost from from one article to the next in terms of what is the best course of action to be able to to undertake thus what's the point would be one answer uh, mm-hmm. And then obviously the the other one when it comes to asking for help is potentially non-family familiar support of why well, do you need to ask for help when you've got us around there, when you've got that okay. non-supportive network of, okay, you probably could, could question, well, why are they doing it? But in terms of... I think it's a more it's a more of a human behavior of holding people back we don't we we're happy for you but we don't want you to get too far ahead because deep down we don't want we don't want you to change thus you're like us and then we're comfortable but it comes back to that paradox you said in terms of being in that gray zone it's should i or should shouldn't i that's very subjective of if I was to say to 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 you Ashley of what what have you learned from speaking to me versus what I take from the conversation would be completely different but versus maybe somebody that's listening they're going to take a different point of view so it's very subjective in terms of what you take from that gray area it could be positive it could be negative but mm-hmm. until you ask that magical question you're none the wiser yeah, I agree with that. I'm obsessed with questions though. I think I, I, I'm on the other spectrum <laughs> like, you know, Ashley, hold some questions to yourself. <laughs> no, yeah, kidding. but that's where academia comes to the fore. They're always asking yeah. questions in terms of, I guess of that's true. If, 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 okay, you, you never finitely find the answer because obviously there's always going to be uh, a study that will question or put into question what's come before it as mm-hmm. to either challenge it or to to reinforce that that argument for the better. I think that's one of the the best things I probably take. If I did my 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 bachelor bachelor of science in sports before I went into uh, working in the health profession, so it's like chalk and cheese of uh the, the perspective in which they, they look at things it's okay you need to have more of um hands-on approach with mm-hmm. people on the street than what you do with i couldn't probably survive in academia it's, it's i'm probably like you it's too slow mm-hmm. um it's it's not it's it's years and years of research before they come to a conclusion whereas mm-hmm. if you put things into to practice Ultimately, the people that are come first have a ma- enormous amount of trust with themselves yeah. into people that are novices and, and beginner level when it comes to helping people. But ultimately, as you progress and you help more and more people, you 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 you, you polish that product to, to be able to give that person the but the best experience for them, and ultimately what I challenge my clients to do is you, the sky's the limit when it comes to questions. You, if you don't, if you don't ask me something, there's a problem, but yeah. but that's, that's communication. It goes both ways. And some people have said to me, I'll be asking you questions all the time. That's fine. That's, mm-hmm. that's all right. Um, 
that's that, that that's that's a good thing but it's it's always putting into question uh, and especially when it comes to nutrition because it, it is a behavioral behavioral science it's it, it's one of those ones it's dictated by emotions so that's yeah it's, it's probably more more susceptible to the person as if exercise is to some extent easy it, it, it's it's a consistency will overrun it and then it becomes a it becomes a behavior and you do it whereas i think nutrition it's so easily manipulated and mm-hmm. in, in, maybe more so in the u.s through for marketing and we're in the uk we're not far behind in terms of yeah. um i find it fascinating because ultimately it's okay well how are they doing it from a psychological perspective to be able to get people to to buy in it, mm-hmm. it's fascinating it's fascinating so you can't hate on that but <laughs> it's trying to get the ordinary person to oh, if you see that product you don't instantly want to go and buy it that's right yeah to look at it like oh wow look at what they did there <laughs> like you said that it is it's fascinating um what they've done and what they've created but to still be able to stand strong in what we know serves us best and kind of break i say what we're doing is we're breaking the ties with the foods we say we love that just aren't loving us back and that takes practice and it takes awareness and it takes a desire. And you're right that the nutrition aspect is just so challenging because we don't just eat to fuel our bodies, which would be so nice if we could take out all the other players, wouldn't it? <laughs> but there's just so many aspects we eat out of stress, emotions, celebration. Some people have grown up where that's all they do is they eat out of whatever you know, they've been conditioned to eat for for all of the different emotions that one experiences. And so for those individuals, it's a lot of deep work. I I say that dropping weight is a a process of letting go. It's letting go of this excess weight that we no longer want. That's no longer serving us, but also letting go of the emotions that are tied to it. Um, Emotions of shame and guilt and perfection and unworthiness all of those, I feel like as we're dropping the weight, we have to work through those emotions simultaneously. Because if we just drop the weight and we don't work through those emotions, kind of like that um, contestant you mentioned on the show, how she just wants to restrict calories to drop weight real quick. Well, she's not going to work through the emotion aspect and all of it's going to be off kilter. And she's going to find that her weight comes back up to be at the level of her mental and emotional status associated with her body. So I really find that they have to drop in conjunction with one another, or if one drops faster than the other, we have to wait and let whatever it is catch up. Um, if that makes sense. It does. It does to me. I hope it does to everybody listening. But that being said, Ashley, when we look at the, what we're talking about is holistical approach and more like Eastern philosophy, looking at weight loss, of you, what you mentioned from a from a behavioral point of view of, I think nutrition has been there for probably decades, and from a diet perspective, mm-hmm. but mindsets, mindset, mindfulness is still playing catch up. So, I think from a, a mind perspective, obviously people can see how they look, how they feel when it when it's vis a vis looking in a mirror. But I don't think the masses have contemplated, you know, the the brain is a muscle as well. Mm-hmm. We can we can see the work that we do in the gym. Feet, you know, men putting on muscle, women putting on muscle. If that's their goal, uh, or, or 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 the alternative of losing weight, people can see that that they 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 can see. Uh, how it makes them feel. Thus, you know, I'm, I'm able to look in the mirror now, and I don't distaste or disgust what I'm looking at. But they may have not contemplated what you mentioned in terms of the emotional mm-hmm. uh, and psychological baggage and damage that's come with it of of, of the, the 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 years on which pretty much pain 
you you've got to work through that and it's coming back to what you mentioned with yourself when it comes to identity is you need to obviously cut the head off that identity of you need to be in alignment with with the person you want to be going forward and that's not that's not an easy thing mm -hmm. to, to to do uh i think obviously you mentioned from a sport perspective it's it's easier and it's, it's more more ever present of what does the, the 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 athlete do once they retire it's like for most people um if i used myself because it's, it's easier i was in the wilderness i, I was well unprepared for my own doing because i ultimately i chose to walk when i did and did not implement anything for the the, the life after sport thus i'm probably very very versed to help people who transition when the weight loss journey because i don't want you to be unprepared through the, for that cycle and if we can whittle away and, and challenge some of those beliefs you have or had towards you know failure um being judged from yourself from other people and and being able to di disattach yourself going forward um it, it is obviously serving the individual long term because if they can unshackle themselves from something they don't want to be is obviously going to serve them long long term and not having that 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 vicious circle that um uh, that everybody knows about the merry-go-round of, 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 of losing weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, like you said, creating your, your new identity. And I like, I always suggest to my clients that we do that at the beginning, you know, who is it that, that you're striving for that you want to be and, and you create that identity as if it's, if it's now. Uh, you don't wait. And so if you were that person already, let's say you have 80 pounds to drop or 30, or 200 plus, whatever that is, and you establish what your goal is, and then you, you visualize that and what that looks like and feels like, and what it smells like, just like, you know, you as the athlete probably visualized a perfect game or, you know, like you, you could see it happen, a perfect shot or whatever it was that you were doing. Me as a dancer, I would picture that variation and it going as best as possible. So the same thing, we can put this into the weight loss perspective too, like visualize yourself at that optimal weight and visualize yourself as that identity, identity if it's fit and, and lean and sexy or whatever that is, how would you act in this moment now if you were already that person? What would you have in your cupboard? What would you have in your fridge? What would you do Like if you don't have time to make something in the kitchen? What food would you order? You know. Um, so I, I think that that is a huge deal. And then just continuing to make what you want the most familiar thing. And I think that's how we establish these new habits. Whatever we want to have happen, we need to make it familiar because the brain is going to go toward what is familiar. And if familiarity is grabbing fast food or ordering some kind of unhealthy fast food, we've got to make that unfamiliar. So just like you said, if we can make the other habit more familiar and practice that over time, then that's what our brain is going to go toward. And it's going to help us really um, step into that new identity that we've created for ourselves. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? Because obviously the, as the world becomes more about convenience, mm -hmm. you need people to be more aware uh, and alert to make that an unfamiliar choice like you say but it's going to become more and more complex uh, yeah. as the years and the decades go by because well let's do it now <laughs> well mcdonald's is going to put up a fight and all the other things because they're not going to go away because there's always going to be well i i i'm going to disagree with what i just said that the 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 they found a foothold in people's psyche that mm -hmm. it needs to be there. And, and if we go, you talk about the unfamiliarity as me as a child, I might've gone to that place once a month as a treat. Yes. Um, And I can't even think the last time I went to, to a, 
to a McDonald's or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I know it's pre-pandemic at least, so we're talking at least two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, we're coming to the end of the show, Ashley. If you had to summarize what we've what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for, for people to, to take away, what would that be? I guess that would be that you can make a change in your life if you want to, but your desire has has got to be there. And it's going to take constant practice and constant awareness. And it isn't easy. Um, but you can do it and it's going to be much more likely that you can do it if you have some kind of outside support and accountability and don't just lean on yourself or expect yourself to do it by yourself. So once again, Ashley, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>